0: The Incomparable, number 454, April 2019.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about. Comic book. Now, don't run away if you're somebody who is not a heavy comic book reader. What we try to do with our comic book club is read something that is readily available either digitally or in paper as a a, a trade paperback or two. So, a collection of multiple issues. So, you don't have to go down to your local comic store and buy like standalone issues or anything like that. They're not hard to find. We're starting at the beginning of the story. And uh, it is an ongoing story, although I think it will it will have an end before too long. Um, and so I think if you're somebody who doesn't read comics a lot, uh, we will talk about this comic a little bit and what what makes it good and what we like about it before we blow the spoiler horn. Uh, we're going to be talking about Paper Girls, which is a comic by Brian K. Vaughn, who we've talked about many of his other comics on this podcast over the years. Uh, Cliff Chang is the uh, is the artist. And it's published by Image Comics. There are, I think, four trade paperbacks out right now. We read the first two. So we will be discussing the first two. Um, I've read further, but it's been so long since I read further on that I reread the first two when I stopped at the delightful cliffhanger. Um,
2: there are actually five. Are there paper five paperbacks now? Out now? And,
1: and mm-hmm. I, think, I think they've announced that it has an end uh, that is coming um in issue 30 in july of this year so if you do get into it you're not going to be twisting in the wind for years waiting for the end of this comic it will be coming to an end uh this summer so but you get started now with uh with number one and number two now now that you've already heard some voices i'm going to introduce the voices you did hear erica ensign who is here hello
2: i am here you are here that's how
1: it would be really weird if you weren't here and they heard you like a ghost
2: with the magic of editing anything's possible jason
1: yeah yeah, anything can happen when time travel is involved. Uh, Aline Sims is also here. Hello. Hello. It's
3: good to have you here.
1: Thanks. Uh, John McCoy is here.
3: John, welcome. Hi. As, as, the, as the, uh, the one of us who is uh, dialing in from the East Coast, I can truly say that I am breaking curfew.
1: Uh-huh, yes, and you're in the future. <laughs> um, there could be trouble. And Quinn Rose is also here. Hello.
0: Hello! Excited to talk about some Paper Girls.
1: Some Paper Girls, yes. A, a So, one of the things that I think is really amazing about Paper Girls is the way it was... I don't know, I, I don't want to say the way it was sold definitively like to everybody, but the way I... What I took of it when it was announced was that it was going to be a... You know, it's like the Goonies or something. It's an 80s coming-of-age story about uh, four girls who deliver the newspaper in Cleveland in the 80s, and they ride around on their bikes, and obviously there's some sort of adventure. Maybe it's supernatural. Maybe it's not. Who knows? And um, the, the story kind of leans into that, but I think it's safe to say, without blowing the spoiler horn, that um, uh, it's, it's, a, it's not that really it kind of is but it's it's really not it's it's not that kind of a comic
0: I think we have so much media that kind of follows that vein and there's been a resurgence of that recently with stranger things and everything that you're you're very primed to think of it in that way as well and so you start reading and you're like okay cool I know what's going on here Yeah. And then you're like, oh, God, I don't know what's going on here. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You really don't know what's going on here, which I think is one of the one of the fun things. I didn't um, I hadn't even heard of it until you suggested reading it, Jason. So it was it wasn't sold to me as anything except for a comic Mm -hmm. called Paper Girls. So I really enjoy just diving in. And yeah, on the very first few pages, that's exactly what I thought it was going to be. Like, it's just this, you know, they're literally Paper Girls and it's 80s nostalgia. This is so cool. Listen to the slang, all that kind of stuff. And then, yeah, it gets. It gets different. From it, takes
1: that. A, it takes a turn. It's set in 1988. At least, uh, this is going to be a slight spoiler. At least at the beginning, and uh, <laughs> uh, on on uh, November first. So the 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 way that this is set up at the very beginning is there is we meet uh, we meet what Aaron, a paper girl Aaron. for uh, the Cleveland Preserver, and uh, she is going out on the paper route. But it, it's a special paper route on this night because it is the night after halloween and so as a result um there's a lot of uh, weird people out on the streets at 4 a.m or 3 a.m when they have to get up and deliver the paper so um we meet erin and she uh, kind of gets harassed by a guy in a freddy Krueger outfit and a couple other guys and then meets the other three paper girls who are um who are out in uh, to strengthen numbers, safety in numbers. They're doing the route together because they're kind of pros, and they know that they need to to do that to fend off any any kind of ruffians that are out there. And that's that's kind of our, our setup, and and it's great. Like just that, we get to meet these characters. They're all you know. We've got our kind of distinct uh, distinct characters. Um, the uh, one thing that this the, the, this uh, comic does immediately, which I think is interesting, it actually reminded me of Mad Men a little bit in the sense that it it has its characters do things that are period appropriate that are no longer appropriate. Mm -hmm. And then it, Mm -hmm. and then paper girls goes a little further by having other characters comment on them. And, and it starts one of the, one of the first things that, that one of the characters says is uh, what we would now in the, in, in in this portion of the 21st century call a homophobic slur. Um, But it's completely something you would hear in that context in 1988 and because it is a modern story one of the other characters immediately says you are not supposed to say that which i think mm-hmm. is like i think that threads the needle I, of being mm-hmm. uh, a period piece and also commenting on it from modern eyes and i thought that was uh I, 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 that was exactly what i wanted from something like this
2: it also sort of dodges the whole oh you know it's of its time, which is a thing that that tends to bother me because right. even even at the time, so many of these these things happened. There were plenty of people around who knew that the other F word was not okay yeah. even then. So it's nice to have a character. Um, so it's, it's it's Mac that says it, and then it's it's Erin, our, our original point of view character who who tells right. her, and I, I like the way that she she refers to it as the other F word,
1: and she calls she calls him an AIDS patient as well this guy who's harassing mm. them and it's like it's the height of the AIDS crisis and uh that's and again she's like Mm-mm, no that's not no you shouldn't you shouldn't do that anybody can get AIDS uh but again i i liked i liked the verisimilitude of it, it cuz it's like yeah that's you know it was the 80s stuff like that 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 was that was how it was yeah
4: and i feel like you know to your point this is how you handle it you it happens you acknowledge that it's not okay and then You know, you you can move on from that. It's as Erica said. It's the people who, or the creators who, just put it in there, and then they're like, "Well, I couldn't do anything else." Well, you're not very creative if you couldn't think of a way to circumnavigate that. You know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, to call it out or acknowledge it, because you are creating for modern audiences. You're not creating for '80s audiences now,
1: right? And and this book knows it from the start. Um, Nice, some nice realistic walkie-talkie product placement here. So uh, Radio Shack, R.I.P. Radio Shack. Another one of those, those, uh, those moments where you're like, oh yeah, mm, good times, good times. Because that was the store. That was the in-house brand, I believe, for Radio Shack was realistic.
2: Oh, okay. I wonder. I wondered about that.
1: Yeah, John, you you lived through this this era. Yeah, I
3: I want. I I had a kind of a different reaction to it. I thought that there was a lot of. It reminded me of the first season of Mad Men. In that, the first season of Mad Men did a lot of highlighting of period-specific things. There was yeah. that sequence yep. where the uh, drapers all littered by the side of the road and got up, and they lingered on the shot of them leaving behind the detritus of their picnic.
1: I keep thinking of, of Dawn's, Dawn's pregnant wife um, smoking while her right. child plays with a plastic bag over their head. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> okay, I get it.
3: <laughs> At first, I was a little bit irritated with it because I felt like... Yeah, I know. I lived through the 80s. And yes, Realistic was a brand that I knew of from Radio Shack. But but it was, it, it was starting to sound a little bit like one of those science fiction stories from the 50s where people are just talking about their technology for no reason at all. Uh, but I actually came around to enjoying it more as it went along because I think that the Uh, comic plays a bait and switch Mm -hmm. because it you think it's going to be this period piece and then we're launched uh later into other periods and (laughs) they do exactly the same thing there like they they make things that are ostensibly the technology we live with today strange uh through the eyes of the characters and that's uh, that's an interesting that's an interesting concept i will say i was a paper boy
1: Oh, and I never,
3: I never got up at four forty in the morning. I, I did do a morning route, but I, I would get up at like six.
2: Oh wow! See, I dated a paper boy, and he did get up at four in the morning.
3: So, <laughs> oh my god!
2: Yep, that was that was the thing.
1: I wonder if they got up a little earlier too, because it was the night after Halloween, and they were going together. So that like the three of them who were going together, especially, they were doing their like all three routes together or something like that. But
3: the other thing that that I thought was strange about this, as a as a Midwesterner. Is the the magazine? I would so the the newspaper that they are delivering for is the Cleveland Preserver. That's not a that's not a newspaper. No, the, the, the Cleveland newspaper is the Plain Dealer. And the only reason I find that strange is Apple computer is a huge plot point. Throughout this entire series, it is, and and they they just go ahead and use the logo straight out, and uh, I just don't know why they were squeamish about the plane dealer. I don't think the plane dealer has uh, <laughs> uh, uh, uh two lawyers in in a retainer at this point. Uh, I don't think you know. I think I would be much more worried about Apple coming down on me if I were. Image Comics.
1: I don't know the um I wondered about that too. Preserver is also weird. It it, it seems to me like a weird like fantasy, you know, name too mm-hmm. like we the, the we are the preserver. It's a, it just seems such a strange name for a newspaper. I do wonder if the entire design of it was to make it seem again it's that head fake that you talked about where it seems like this is a sort of genericized um home you know or genericized nostalgic 80s thing. And then you get that last panel of the first issue with the Apple logo appearing prominently in a surprising place. And it makes you think, wait, what? What's happening now? <laughs> um, and maybe they were holding their brand placement until, the, until that moment. I don't know.
4: Well, and maybe it'll come around, too, like later in the series. Uh, maybe, and maybe this is for a spoiler bit, but like I can see how the name of the paper might make sense in the end. Yeah. Speaking of of, of Apple, um,
2: one thing that you didn't mention before we we jumped into talking about the the characters is actually like the very 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 beginning of the comic, which is uh, a dream sequence. And when I first picked picked up the comic in the uh, in the store, um, I knew I was going to read it. I knew I was going to buy it, but I was just like, "Oh, let's see what I'm getting myself into." And all I saw was like the very first page where it's it's arid, like on the moon in what looks like I don't know a leotard or swimming suit holding an apple and then a weird astronaut with some wings shows up and I was like okay I'm in that's that's all I need (laughs) and then later I read and realized it was it was starting with a dream sequence but it was a very weird very cool dream sequence that uh that that like swept me into the story immediately and then you got the very sort of stereotypical like oh there's the close-up on the alarm clock there's the close-up on the calendar so you you know where you are in in time and then you get a close-up on her taking a knife out of a drawer and i was like what's happening but she's just using it to cut the uh, bands around the papers and then
4: we get into the rest of it but i just i thought
2: that was a really gripping
4: way to start the use of color is also really attention grabbing like i'm looking at the five volumes i own in Comicsology, and they're all very like sunsetty sunrisey colors Mm -hmm. lots of blues and pinks and oranges and teals um and it's like that throughout the comics at least the the two volumes that I've read so far is this color palette is really, really prominent and it does a really good job of, um, conveying, especially the, the early hour mornings that we are early morning hours that we get early on, like that use of blue and, you know, these, these colors that, we can see what's going on, but we can also tell like it's not well lit. There's weird stuff happening. Um, You know, the, the teenagers are out in force and all of that kind of stuff that uh, is really well conveyed through the use of color throughout
1: this series. All right. A brief break from paper girls to tell you about our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Linode. Linode is the service on which the incomparable rests. This is how we do what we do. When you're downloading, uh, when you're visiting the web pages, downloading most of the Incomparables podcasts, it's coming from our Linode server. And uh, I pay for that every month. And you know what? It doesn't hurt because we get so much work out of that server. For so little money, it is shocking. And you can be there too. You can instantly deploy and manage a server with SSD storage in their cloud. You can get it running in just seconds. You can choose the Linux distro. You can choose the resources. You can even choose where your node is located. And they've got hundreds of thousands of happy customers like me, all taken care of by a great 24 7 support team. If you've ever run into any problems, you can drop them an email. You can give them a call. You can chat over IRC whatever suits you best. And there are also great user guides and support documentation if you want to look something up yourself and help yourself, which is also great. There's a new management panel now in beta at cloud.linode.com. It's a new it's a single page app. It's built using react js. It's backed entirely by a public Linode API and it's open source plus they've got two factor authentication to keep you safe and secure and pricing options like i said to suit anyone the plans start at a mind-bogglingly low price five dollars a month for a one gig of ram server they've also got high memory plans starting at 16 gigs of ram and a great offer for you to try it out as a listener to the incomparable which means you're already a user of Linode if you're using our services because we use Linode. You can go to linode.com slash Snell, my last name, use promo code Snell2019. You'll get $20 toward any Linode plan. On the one gig of RAM plan, do the math, you can get four free months of a Linode server. With that code. And there's a seven day money back guarantee. So you've got nothing to lose. Give them a try today. Linode.com slash Snell and promo code Snell2019. That's my name in the year. To learn more, sign up and make the most of that $20 credit. Thank you, Linode, for keeping my entire online business running and for supporting The Incomparable. Now back to Paper Girls. We should talk about our characters. Before we again uh, blow the spoiler horn, we should talk about at least our main characters. Um, We have Aaron who is uh, the Initial Viewpoint character. Um, she is new to this Cleveland suburb. We have Mac, who is always smoking cigarettes and uh, is the one who uses the, uh, the uh, strong language throughout. Um, uh, we have, uh, what, KJ, who is, uh, is Jewish and has a field hockey stick and goes to the private school and we have uh, Tiffany who is African American and goes to uh, the same school as Aaron the Catholic school.
2: And Aaron is Asian. We should And Aaron that
1: is out. Asian, yeah. Aaron Tiang is her name. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they are there are four. So Aaron is new to the group. You get the sense that there's at least somewhat of a dynamic between the other three. Mac is obviously the most kind of like she's the big personality. And so she takes up, I feel like a lot of space initially. And I feel like this, this, this whole comic seems so well structured and well thought out. Like I feel like the character, the strength of Mac as a character is itself a trapdoor for you to kind of like focus on her big personality and take your eye off the ball of the other characters. Because then the, the, as the story moves along, the other characters have very interesting things about themselves that are revealed that are i mean it's not like mac doesn't have things that are revealed too but like i thought that was an interesting thing that um again maybe just plays to the trope that there's always that kind of like tough uh the tough character in the group of young people in the coming of age 80s story and then the this like everything else in this story it unfolds at a point and you realize that it, there's more to it than than the trope that you thought you were seeing
0: the smoking with mac is also just like i don't really know what to make of that exactly it, it's a really strong motif for her character like from the very beginning like you said she's always smoking and and um aaron commented on it pretty much right away and she's like you should not be smoking and she's like i do what i want basically yeah. um and it's a very interesting because it, it it tells you a couple different things sort of going along with it is one is she's very much like this tough girl and sort of um like there's a lot of stuff about how implied that like she's not from a very good family that like her family has trouble with the law and that kind of thing. But it's also very much this sort of projecting thing that she's doing where like she wants everyone to think that she's super tough and loud and, doesn't take any anything from anyone so of course she always has a cigarette hanging out of her mouth even though she's 12 years old and i'm like oh girl i just want to give you a hug (laughs) right cup of tea blanket cookie sit her down she's got really cool hair though i'll say
2: that
4: i was Mm -hmm. just gonna say her hair is also a signifier of that kind of i don't know the rebelliousness or whatever because like that a-line bob in the 80s the super straight a-line bob As far as I remember, was not a thing that people did very often. It was, you know, the the late eighties was bigger, curlier, permier hair, and so that was another interesting thing. Like the other, I think all of the other kids have, you know, kind of curly, big hair. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's kind of punk. She she looks a little punk. Yeah.
1: And when we meet her, um, we meet her stepmother. And, you know, we learned that her stepmother and her dad met in, in AA <laughs> and, and it's, it's not like, it's again, very quickly, it's sort of like, uh, this is, this is not a great home and, and, uh, the stepmother takes out a gun and you're like, oh, you know, okay. Again, because it is what I, I don't, I mean, it's like three issues in before things get especially strange, so that we go for a while, and I say three issues because I think every, uh, what is it, each trade paperback is like five issues worth. So you get, <laughs> we're really talking about the first ten issues of the original monthly comic. Um, so we get, we get a lot of time with them in a more or less, I mean, it's weird, things are going on, but it's unclear um, kind of what exactly the rules of this world are going to be and what, what the strangeness is going to be manifested as, you will not guess probably how it is manifested in the end um but uh so we get we get that time with her in the first uh with max you know in the second issue is like the big cliffhanger involves her stepmother so we get we get time with her whereas some of the other characters the time comes later after uh, strange things that uh strange not stranger things strange things that happen um <laughs> what else should we say before do you think before we uh we blow the spoiler horn if there's somebody who is thinking about stopping this podcast and uh and uh, diving into the first two trades before re- listening to the rest of us uh, talk
3: I would about just it. say what to to reiterate what you pointed out that we have characters here that play easily identifiable roles if you grew up in the 80s and saw films like the goonies or stand by me mm-hmm. or whatever you 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 get the feeling that this is going to be a nostalgia trip. Um, And the characters are going to do things and change in ways that are unexpected. And that's uh, to the credit, I think, of this comic.
0: I also just want to quickly touch on the sort of family dynamics that are laid out at the very beginning of this series – specifically in two ways and one is that like their families are pretty much absent immediately um, which I think is a a kind of common thing that happens but is also but is very interesting in terms of like putting them um, by themselves and having very little family involvement um, except for negative things um but the and then also i just want to, when mentioned the dream sequence earlier which is a uh, kind of centers around erin and her little sister um and i will say that like the very first thing that happens in this comic is like her having a dream uh where her, her sister missy is in danger and she needs to help her and i'm very interested to see like i'm sure this dream is going to like connect to much larger pictures like later in the comic because that's how comics work um so very just seeing that and i'm also like even if with the full two trades that we read for this you don't get a lot of fleshed out stuff between this sister relationship but i'm very intrigued for that because like as an older sister i immediately sort of empathized with that and i am intrigued to see where that is going to go and play it out. it
1: also reminded me that first the first pages where that dream is happening which is right at the beginning reminded me of saga It's with a, it's a character with like wings and like a, a head that's like a TV or something. And, and that's Brian K. Vaughn's incredibly successful comic. And I thought that was funny because it's almost like the comic is saying, hey, it's just like that. No, it's not. (laughs) Like like immediately it takes that away. It's just a dream. It's super weird. It's like an angel telling her that, uh, that she's going to go to hell or whatever it tells her. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty, I I imagine that will come back, but. I haven't seen. It
4: yet. I'm picturing, you know, parents of today sitting their children down in a few years to to read comic books, but they're going to have to have this conversation with their kids explaining what a paper route is and why <laughs> like why it's significant and why it's it's something to be noted. Like I don't know, the parents doing that are probably also showing their kids things like Goonies, so maybe they'll have that <laughs> background knowledge, but I remember like when I started reading I was like Hmm. How is this going to hold up over time? Are people going to know what paper routes were and like how all of this place plays in together? And hopefully,
2: explaining why it's significant for girls to be allowed to Mm -hmm. do a paper route, which is also a thing that comes up. Yeah,
4: and I think it is addressed a little bit. Um. Again, I maybe that's a spoiler, but there's a little bit of like, oh,
2: Mm -hmm. I'm just I'm just hoping by the time in a few years that like they'll be like, why couldn't girls do paper routes, mommy? Like,
3: but it's more like, what a is a newspaper?
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. yeah.
3: Well, I don't know about you guys, but all the millennials I know uh, actually have expressed to me. I guess it, it's it's all Stranger Things fault, but they have expressed to me various levels of nostalgia for the 80s. And there is this thing right now, this musical movement called Mallcore which is um, ambient-style music based around what you might hear in malls, um, because there is a sense of ennui amongst the younger generation that things have gone wrong with the way technology panned out and the way the internet panned out. and There's a kind of a nostalgia for a pre-internet time uh, that I th- I feel is really reflected throughout the story in this in here. There's lots of, um, you know, I don't want to get into it, but there later on, one of the characters expresses a uh, the idea that th- something may have gone wrong uh, on the way. To the present day, right? Uh,
4: I'm I'm an older millennial, and I do not long for the 80s at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that surprised me. <laughs> my sister is also my a mile- uh, millennial.
2: I mean, yet re- also have to remember millennials are like in their 30s now. So
3: no, of course, yeah. I know. I but believe me. I, I I'm a Gen Xer. Uh, I'm I'm used to people mischaracterizing my generation, but I but I do I do uh, think it's fun to look up mallcore because it's a strange thing.
1: <laughs> there's one uh in issue 3 I want to say um there's a there's a scene that I will mention now again I'll try to steer around a little bit of it spoiler wise but I felt like it it really sums up what this comic is trying to do which is it we are at the high school and uh a a weird thing is happening right there's like lightning and strange birds in the sky or creatures in the sky and weird cloud and it's very much a uh you know it's a, it's a typical kind of like supernatural almost like horror movie moment uh they're all wearing costumes because again it was how Hall- it's halloween night a girl dressed as a cat runs onto the football field and where there's a boy who was dressed as a what axe murderer robot something something weird um and they are uh terrified by uh the what they see in the sky okay so it's a typical horror movie thing and then what happens is is uh, the boy puts his hand on the girl and kisses her, and she shoves him away and says, "What is wrong with you?" and and you get the like little modern twist, which is like you know this this is she goes into some levels of detail. I feel like okay, well this is a little more modern story. The girl is pushing back; she's not letting this guy take advantage of her. Okay, um, so that's the second level, and then the third level is a person on a giant pterodactyl let's say um appears and vaporizes them and that's and i was like oh so that's what this comic is okay got it got it the third level is like oh i see uh because yeah those those two kids are, are are just vaporized into dust and that's that's what paper girls is all about
3: <laughs> don't they show up later in the uh test tubes on board mm. I, I, wait, is this spoiler territory?
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it's a little spo- spoiler. There, there are some things. I mean, mm-hmm. do they really vaporize? Are they scanned? Was there's other stuff going on there? But, but yeah, in the moment, it's very much like there's like a little pillar of ash or whatever that sort of blows <laughs> away as this strange figure has just. Uh, eliminated them. It's, it's very weird.
2: You mentioned the, uh, the, the girl's reaction and I, 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 I appreciate that definitely sort of like the modern twist, but I also very much appreciated the boy's reaction and how his just, absolute entitlement it's like well you know weird stuff is happening and i've wanted you ever since we were freshmen so now you you need to kiss me and it just like lays it right out there for you on a silver platter like that is that that was then and that is still now but her reaction is definitely uh fulfilling
1: for me it's at a and you're like okay yes nostalgia b ah yes okay modern take on it C, what what Mm -hmm. what just happened Mm -hmm. that and, and to me that's paper girls (laughs) is 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 layer c is not what you think it's going to be and it's super strange and uh and and exciting and with that with that tantalizing hint about layer c i'm going to fire off the spoiler horn and say that you can get the trades volume one and volume two of paper girls and you should and you should read them and then you should come back and listen to the rest of this episode where we're going to talk about those in more detail and now i hear the spoiler horn (laughs)
4: Okay, but what the heck?
2: yeah, right? I'm almost wishing that we had read more than just the first two trades because I yeah. feel like I still have zero idea of what is happening at all, but there's a lot mm-hmm. of really fun stuff that we can still talk about <laughs> to get to the point where I have no idea what's happening
1: yeah there's there's time travel is involved, although it's a it's unclear what we hear is that somebody invented time travel and they found out that um there isn't like there aren't like branching timelines there's just the one timeline and things get overwritten and then they get re-overwritten and there are the first people who invented time travel the old timers ah, and they want see, to, i didn't
2: even get that
1: yeah there there's a there's a, some dialogue where the um the 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 kids uh say oh the old timers they think that you should never do anything and there's the guy in his rock you know various rock t-shirts That's the grandfather who speaks in English and they're they're uh, they're riding on their pterodactyls and they're trying to like reset the timeline and fix what's going on and erase the people who shouldn't be there and all of these things. And then they're the kids and the impression that I get is that the kids are like, oh, those old timers preserving history. It's stupid. You can't do that. We're just going to do whatever we want in the past Mm -hmm. and it's fine.
0: But it's also like it's. I have no idea what's happening because, like, okay, you have that dynamic <laughs> set up, but also the old timers are, like, vaporizing people mm-hmm. slash putting them at test tubes, and mm-hmm. you don't really know what their their ultimate goal is, and then they're trying to find the girls because the girls are a danger to them, but also there's clones now, mm-hmm. and also the timeline doesn't make sense because the, the older version doesn't remember what happened in the younger version, right. so... Mm-hmm. things are being rewritten as we go and what is that going to do it's very exciting i'm very looking <laughs> much looking forward to reading the rest that's out and i'm annoyed that it's not done yet because i'm going to get to the end of volume 5 and be like i still don't know what's happening yeah mm-hmm. yeah me too yeah
2: i'm really en- i'm really enjoying the sort of a uh, p- push and pull like who are the the good guys if if there are even any any people that we're supposed to be rooting for like should we be yeah. on the side do we want aaron to be on the side of the old timers or the teenagers like i i i still don't know
1: yeah the um the good tw- the the twist that we we mentioned sort of in passing is that at the end of uh issue one there are these you know weird guys with weird pupils who kind of attack them and they they run away and um but they leave this thing behind and it's a ra- square with rounded rectangles with an apple logo on it uh and it's yeah. super small and thin and the the girls are like huh and the audience is like, what just happened? <laughs> because it's like a future Apple product, like future to our future too, but very clearly uh, some weird Apple product from the future. And that's the moment where the the comic's like, yeah, uh, time travel is what's going on here. But it gets just increasingly weird. And in fact, in what the second trade, we end up in the future where three of the characters are in the future uh, of 2016, which is when the comic was uh that that issue those issues were published. And they meet Aaron, Aaron's future self, who's an adult and who works at the newspaper. And uh and then you, you get this whole set of things that are going on in our you know, more or less present day, commenting with characters from the 80s, commenting on the good and bad. They go, they literally go. You talk about Mallcore, John, right? They literally go to an abandoned mall in 2016 mm-hmm. to heighten the wow, the future, our current present now is really terrible from by the eyes of the the, the kids who are from the 80s. Which, uh, as a kid from the 80s, uh, that 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 hit pretty close to home for me.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I want to say this this uh, comic follows sort of the the buffy model of having characters stand in for thematic ideas there's a lot uh, f- very early on we have this conflict between old timers and teenagers and that the the problem is the old timers think they know what's best they think they they think they've got it all figured out they're going to try and impose rules on the teenagers and the teenagers are going to they say break curfew and they're going to they're going to do what they they want to do and there's a part of me that finds that a little bit um, too much of the the author winking at at me but I, I, then again, I, I do like the way that it screws with your perceptions. One of the things that I love about this is that it calls into question one of the oldest science fiction tropes of all, which is you can't mess up the timeline. Because when I was a kid, very early on I, I it occurred to me that all these stories about people saying like oh you, the terrible thing is this person's gone back into in the past and they're messing up the timeline you know and that and that has to be fixed is i realized from the perspective of someone in the future we're just messing up their timeline right it's like every everyone's always messing up the timeline it's just a, it's just a question of of who's got the uh causality at the moment
1: <laughs> yeah and the, the time travel rules in this are are a little bit unclear but it definitely seems like um, you know, what they say is there, you know, there's only the one timeline and there seems to be basically a battle between fixing the timeline and breaking the timeline. Um, But it, it allows our characters to explore, you know, so they get to see Aaron in the future. And uh, there's also a clone of Aaron. Yeah. Who was raised yeah. elsewhere, which is another weird thing. There's a great moment. It actually reminded me of... A much twistier and turnier comic that i love and i can't really recommend called morning glories which is a time travel in at various points comic about a, a private school where lots of weird things are happening and the reason i can't recommend it is that even though they've done like a hundred issues it hasn't done an issue in Two or three years, and it's unclear if they will ever finish the story. So don't read it. But it reminded me of it in that sense, which is um, there are um, very strange sort of like time travel shenanigans going on and twists that happen. And you think, like, you know, now why are there clones uh, who are duplicates? And and then the big one is um, they find a hockey stick.
2: This is so great. uh,
1: Or lacrosse stick sticking out of the air. And written on it, it says, "Go to the fourth, whatever it folding. is." You know, yeah, folding, yeah, fourth folding. But on the other side, it says, "Don't trust other Aaron." And Aaron finds it, and there's oh, already Aaron the older Prime version of herself <laughs> finds it. Yes,
4: twelve-year-old Aaron. Yeah,
1: twelve-year-old Aaron finds it, and and you know her adult one there, and it's like, oh boy, super paranoia there. And then the clone shows up, and then it's really like, what? <laughs> which which other Aaron? But that's a very Morning Glorious kind of moment where there's like a, uh, a, a, a a rift that contains an item with a very portentous clue that you can't understand, but they're trying to do their best. Um, and I, I I like that about it. Plus, I should say, you know, when we talk about the plot, um, you know, there are lots of, lots of dialogue, lots of good character moments with these characters interacting with each other. And then if you've ever wanted to see... Um, Two giant tardigrades fighting like Godzilla monsters in the river, uh, in Cleveland. Yeah, you get that too.
2: And who has not?
1: Yeah. What? Where have you been all your life that you haven't wanted to <laughs> see giant tardigrades fighting like Godzillas in Cleveland? Because that happens. That was amazing. There's a lot of good stuff here. It is. I agree with, with, with you that um, after two trades, the, you know, we're definitely not moving into the maybe even the second act, because after two trades, it's more like we're just laying down who these characters are. It really is first act stuff, which is it's more questions than answers. It's very clear that there's a time travel struggle going on between the old timers and the teenagers. There are, there are clones of people. There are these folds that, that seems to be there's Zeppelins, by the way, of course there are Zeppelins <laughs> because there have to be, it's a uh, weird <clears throat> shenanigans going on, but it, it seems to be that there are some rules about Um, Where you can go and when and like parallel, you know, you know, people aren't getting erased per se, but that there are there are like flying around on these, you know, pterodactyls killing people or, or something as a part of the like the cleanup. Like they're not supposed to be in this. That they they've stopped time or they're trying to fix something that's gone wrong so that they can wind it back. But again, so you get some like hints about what's going on, but it really is unclear. They're basically these very weird people on these very weird creatures who are going around zapping people while the teenagers run around in their little robes and their weird like Apollo, like living Apollo style space capsule that's actually a time machine. That's another thing that is in this. It's very There's a lot of really weird stuff in there, but you know, I I don't know. I I, I don't know if we're giving, if I'm giving the best impression by trying to describe it.
3: As as you describe this, um, you know, I've read all the trades, and I, 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 you know, there there is the kind of delightful disorientation you have in the early part of the, the the series, but I think, as you said, the the first two books are Act One they feel like act one. The second two books feel like act two and the fifth one feels like the beginning of winding everything down. Mm-hmm. And I gather there's just going to be the one other book. After yeah, I that. think so. And, 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 and one thing that I appreciate about this is it feels fairly tightly plotted to me. Like yeah. I feel that, that mm-hmm. Vaughn had really worked out the outlines of what he wanted to do early on. And in some ways it feels very like, like, chess pieces being put into place. Um, And I say that in a way that I, I don't think it's a bad thing because as, as big a fan as I am of saga saga has been going on for a very long time now. And, I have these feelings that there are are passages where Vaughn is not quite sure what to do next, yeah, or he's kind of feeling his way along. And right now, it's on extended hiatus, which is not a good sign. I feel like, uh, you know, it's it's interesting that this was the comic that he did as a refresher from Saga,
1: and it's about to come to an end, and he will have done a a complete story in
3: thirty issues.
1: Yeah, whereas he did. Ex Machina, I want to say, was 50 issues, and Why the Last Man was like 100 issues. Um, and Saga, you know, continues. But this is going to be ultimately fairly short. But we, yeah, we, we are literally reading the, the act one. We're literally reading the first third of the story by reading the first 10 issues, the first two trades. So that's worth keeping in mind. And it is, I like how you say the disori- It's It is delightful disorientation. Like, every time you think you like maybe maybe you are figuring out what's going on what in this in this part of the story just more elements get added
4: (laughs) yeah the thing i like about it though is it never to me was overly disorienting like there are some novels i've read um and i'm about to read for hugo (laughs) purposes where i just like the entire first book i was like I have no clue what's happening. I'm reading these words and I actually don't know what they mean. And it wasn't until like the final third of the novel where things kind of started to come together, but not really. And I was still really unsure about it. Like, I feel like paper girls does a really good job of kind of keeping you a little bit off balanced, but still holding your hand enough that you're not going to fall on your face. Like I did with those dang novels. (laughs) I read for the Hugos.
0: <laughs> I feel like the visual language works really well with that yeah. as well here. Like, I mean, you've already mentioned sort of the coloring of this series and how beautiful it is, but even just the the, the color in the art is so enticing. Um, it really keeps you going. Even and you're seeing like super weird stuff happen, um, but it's still like very well visually wa- laid out. It's very easy to follow what's happening sort of in space, which I think helps a lot. And I also just want to give us particular shout out to, um, the sort of alien language that they're speaking (laughs) that Mm. hasn't really been explained yet, but, um, that like they, the, the time travelers are speaking this language that, that it's just symbols. And, um, I, when I like get to that part, when I'm reading it, my brain just goes, and then <laughs> so that's just, it mm-hmm. makes a weird sound. But I, I really appreciate that in terms of like a really cool, um, representation of it as well as, um, I don't know if ever, who, uh, read this in paper versus online or whatever, but in the paper version that I got from the library, they have, Underneath the quotes from like Vox and AV Club, they have a quote in that symbol language. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm looking right at it right now. It's so good. I assume that they like have actually they actually made an alphabet or something, but I have no idea what this quote says.
1: <laughs> Mentioning the color, I, the the Matt Wilson is the colorist, and it is it, when you leaf through it, like it is very much like this very um, reduced palette. Um, most of the people are kind of like kept in a single color and then you'll get, like, a different color for clothes or a different color for the background. But it's it's not monochromatic, but it's definitely, like, a reduced... Like, the light... It, the way I got it was it's your sense of the lighting. So, like, they're in a car, and everybody's kind of this dark, bluey-gray. And you get the sense, like, it's getting dim, and there's a pink sky, and so it's sunset. And you you can't really see colors very well, but the sky is still lit up. And they go into the dead mall, and everybody's this kind of, like... I don't know, grayish, bluish there too, um, but the backgrounds are a little bit different, and it, it is, it is, um, it, it's stylized. It, it, it's not a like a, it's not trying to be a super broad c- color palette. It really is sort of like um, interesting colors in the background and uh, a more kind of constant color in the foreground. It, it's a uh, one of those things we don't talk about comic book colorists enough, mm-hmm. uh, even though I know a comic book colorist. <laughs> <laughs> comic they don't get they don't get the credit they deserve. And I, I think this is fascinating in, in mm-hmm. how it's colored. So it's almost it's like, worth mentioning like
2: especially the outdoor scenes that like, you know, you you look at the past with rose tinted glasses mm. and you're literally seeing the the rose tinted nostalgia of the past in some of the earlier ones where the sky is is turning pink.
1: Well and there's there's a moment in the I, I guess it's issue nine, uh, the next to last one of the second volume that um a, the clone of Aaron is standing next to a portal to the future. And the Im- and she's you know, in her just sort of like one shade foreground. And then it's all white, and then the portal is like ripped. But through the portal, what you see is this fantastical future with all these weird buildings and things flying around, and the sea and the sunset, and it's super colored. And that also is really interesting because you're like, "Ooh, what's that? What's that world? Because that world is colored far more kind of like differentiated and vibrant than than the places that they are in the story. And that that's true for all those portable all the portals that we see.
2: Good job, Matt Wilson.
1: Yes the apple stuff continues by the way so that that apple box uh turns out to be a like brain pod basically it's like <laughs> uh you can you can see things in your mind and but and like move around in them and that's what it is and so they use it as that and it's obviously you know this this far off future tech that's come back in time but um i i i have to say i'd forgotten that this is how the the second trade ends i laughed out loud at that final moment in the second trade where they have gone through a portal and they don't know when they're going to or or why and they're on like what looks like Uh, it's revealed like a chalk mound or something. It's not a pyramid per se, although it's pyramid shaped to make it, it's artificial, but it's like a chalk mound with grass on it and then carved out of the grass or or, or in a different thing is like a, A a beast with horns and its arms up above and an apple logo above that. And it just made me laugh so much because it's just like this gets weirder and weirder. And are they in the past now? But there's an apple logo, but there could be time travelers. Yeah,
2: and that the beast is also like the same thing that appeared in her dream at the very, very beginning. So we've got a little bit of of symmetry here, you know, with just these two traits that okay, so something's going on. There was the apple Mm -hmm. and the beast in her in her dream, and here we are either in the future right. or the past. And it's she, eats the, an she eats the
1: apple in her dream and it's the forbidden fruit. And then we get all these Apple uh, logos throughout.
3: Mm-hmm. Right. Well, Father Father Jappo is wearing an Apple Records t-shirt yes he is uh, here, which is which is also you know if if you're a big beatles nerd you know of course that apple core uh sued apple computers mm-hmm. for copyright infringement uh long ago to because and there was a deal signed that said apple would never get into music because of that and we all know how well that went <laughs>
1: um <laughs> yeah. yeah in the end apple made so much money from computers that they just uh they, I think they just basically paid off Apple Corps and said, "We'll just take the whole trademark." And they're like, "Okay, you got it." <laughs> they, they, they,
3: the check is how big? But fa- fa- Father Japo, which we haven't we haven't really mentioned much, is the the, the leader of the old timers. Um, he's this guy who looks sort of like Jerry Garcia uh-huh. and and acts <laughs> and acts a lot like a uh, a stereotypical baby boomer. Whenever you see him, he's wearing some sort of a graphic T-shirt. Yep, uh, that, enemy. that typically, yeah, that typically goes back in time. And
1: he speaks he speaks contemporary English, which his right, yeah. his old timer uh, uh, people that he's leading do not. They speak some sort of
3: future slang. But this 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 sets up again that that funny generational conflict that has reality in the storyline, but is also. You could one could also see it as a generational conflict that is being commented on uh, in in this uh, in this comic, you know, because we have this opposition of of generations. Even though you know we will eventually learn where Jappo comes from. Uh, spoilers for people who haven't mm. read on in the series, but um, I won't get into it. Uh, he's set up now as the sort of the boomer who's chiding. The uh, Gen Xer, who's the the al- elderly Aaron, and then the kids, the teenagers, who are technically Gen Xers, but they are kids in the story, so they're they're kind of more like this millennial stand-ins or wh- whatever. Um, you know, I, one thing that I would say uh, about this comic, if 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 you haven't read Brian Vaughn it sounds very heady and intellectual. Everything we're saying here, but. Actually, I don't. I think ultimately, Vaughn uh, sometimes kind of elides over a lot of the time travel uh, mechanics and stuff, you know, in the kind of timey wimey way. He's not really interested in that. What the real big payoffs for me in these Vaughn stories are always those interpersonal moments. Mm-hmm. I think everyone remembers uh, lying Cat uh, <laughs> talking to the 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 poor uh, the, will? the little girl. Well, no, talk, but talking to the little girl, oh, who's just the little been girl. Sure. saved by the will, mm-hmm. and everyone remembers that scene because it's a very poignant emotional scene. And I think there's a like a, an, an equally poignant scene here where old Aaron hugs young Aaron, and it's it's a it's sort of about the literally being able to see yourself as a teenager and what a gift that would be. Yeah. I think that those are the moments that Vaughn like focuses on and those and and those those big emotional moments come in the midst of all this crazy uh you know time stuff and and i think that those emotional stuff moments are the things that actually hold this story together for me Mm -hmm. because i i I, when i think too much about the time travel stuff i all i can think about is like he never really quite explained this and i don't understand what it means when they say Early on, they say, uh, when your time is up, your time is up, and the meaning that if you die at a certain point in time, there's no way to change that. And I just don't understand that. Yeah. From a, from a, <laughs> I understand it from a plot standpoint. I don't understand it from any kind of a physics or a metaphysics standpoint.
2: And I mean, at this point, I haven't read as far as you. I mean, for my reading of that was that we don't even know yet if they're unreliable narrators, so... You know, she believes it's clear that Mac believes it um, because, you know, she continues to go on smoking because why why should she worry about uh, lung cancer? We should
1: should mention she she, they go when they're in the in the future of 2016, they they go to her house and uh, the people there bought it from her family uh, and they reveal that their daughter, who is Mac, died of leukemia um and so you know mac basically gets this death sentence um and that's part of the you know that's part of the story too is she's got that hanging hanging over her head mm-hmm. um but yes it's unclear it's one of the nice things about this time travel shenanigans stuff early on is that they can do weird stuff and you're like okay i guess uh, hopefully they'll explain it later they may not mm-hmm. explain it later, but at least there's hope that they it might make more sense later.
2: Yeah, I think I I agree with with John that I mean I I love the time travely weirdness and being off balance, um, but the uh but the the parts for me that really sort of had my heart singing were the emotional moments and like once we got into the second trade and you have young Erin interacting with you know herself much older that was that was the part where i was just like give me more give me more give me more and, and from both sides you have you have the older version in 2016 you know thinking you know even before she sees her young self where has my life gone i'm still working at the same paper you know i'm, I'm stuck in a rut and then she sees her young self and her young self and and she's thinking you know oh all of all of the things i thought i had in front of me and then you've got the young her thinking this is what i have in front of me (laughs) and it's just it's and yeah the hug is is definitely i think for me the the best moment because like the younger version of herself just it just says something so pure and sweet and 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 kind and it's like the kind of thing that i want to tell myself and believe now but I don't know that I necessarily can, but if I had an actual younger version of me saying it out loud into the air, that would yeah, I'd I'd hug myself too.
4: Younger me would not be impressed with current me, like honestly. <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> it's kind of a blessing that maybe this will never happen. It's such a it's such a moment, right, where it's like suddenly you're, you know, your younger self. It's uh it's a different thing when it's your younger self appearing to judge you about the choices you've made and where you've ended up, and that is what happens between you know aaron and older aaron is she is um yeah she's not impressed and older aaron is super you know aware of that it's it's really interesting that that it it hits home i also love that they that their little little sister appears and she's like a helicopter pilot and it's important to the Mm -hmm. plot and there's that moment where the little sister is like oh my god it's my big sister you're so little and it, that's so great cuz she remembers her being young too but you don't have that um that moment of judgment so much because it's like one of them it's fond remember- memory and the other one is like look at you you're flying a helicopter you're so awesome right no no negative judgment about like oh you're still working at the newspaper and driving this little car, that's the other thing they do is they make fun of her mm. smart car that she's driving because it's very small. Poor little smart cars.
0: I just have to say really quickly is I, uh, when I was like in seventh or eighth grade, I wrote a letter to myself that I would read at the end of high school. And in the letter, I wrote, have you published a book yet or did you fail? <laughs> oh. <laughs> so little, uh, little me was extremely judgmental oh, and I'm glad no, that we're not meeting.
1: <laughs> no. Wow. Oh. <laughs> I, I wrote a letter to myself graduating from high school in sixth grade. And I have to say, it was really uh, unimpressive when I read it, because it turns out that in sixth grade, I decided to quiz myself about events of sixth grade. And I said, do you remember this? Do you remember this? How about this? And the answer was, nope. Mm -mm. (laughs) Nope. Don't remember any of those things, kid. No, no. They seemed important when you were in sixth grade, but no, no, oh, I don't.
2: I wish I had written a letter. I, I wrote a uh, a list of goals at one point. I think it might have been actually during high school even, so a little bit later. And I, I, I lost it somewhere along the way, but I'm pretty sure that I have not achieved a single one of the goals that were on that list. Pretty sure.
1: For those who have are still listening and have not read it, I mean, the good news is we're as confused as you are. So there's that. <laughs> Um, it is it is fantasy, sci-fi, time travel weirdness. There are definitely like airships and people like knights on pterodactyls, but a lot of good character stuff. And and it, I, I think for sure one of the things that the this story is trying to do is, um, is take these girls to various uh, you know weird places so that they can deal with the fallout on them on their own lives personally in their own personal relationships and that's one of the things that i like about it is that in the end i you know i i know i'm i come across like uh, a broken record that's a reference to an anachronistic technology by the way um (laughs) when i say this but like in the end it's about the characters right like in the end it is always or it should be always about the characters and all the time travel shenanigans is fun but it's important that it always seems to connect to some sort of strain it puts on the characters some perspective it gives them like when aaron sees herself sees herself grown up or mac finds out that she's going to die of leukemia apparently that um that's that's the stuff that this, as wild a story as it is, that this this comic really excels at.
3: There's one thing that I I like uh, that we haven't pointed out yet, which is each uh, chapter begins with an epigram, and they are usually bastardizations of of well known. Phrases. My favorite being, at the end of volume two, when they they have the one that says, "What is past is epilogue. Mm. <laughs> Uh Because mm. because I I love this this for several reasons. One is when I was growing up, it seemed like every book that was written in the sixties or seventies had an epigram at the beginning of its chapter you know like uh watership down was one of the first long books i read and that had all those crazy quotations at the beginning of each chapter um and i just i don't know why people started doing that they seem to start doing that around 1965 and they stopped doing it somewhere around like 1980 and so I, i like this as a as a as a technique, but I also like it because all these things are about, again, confounding our ideas Mm -hmm. about time. And I think that to the extent that this is a story about time, it really calls into question a lot of these these issues. And I and I, I really uh, again I, I i love the fact that we are called to root for people who are basically going to screw up the timeline because they're saying like <laughs> what's so great about th- this timeline after all you know like why do we treat it like it's 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 uh sacred
1: and i like oh, by the way the one the one that i'm looking at right now that i thought was great it's because these these all these things are negating the normal thing that you say so you know the present the present is a gift that's why it's called the present right uh right. and and the one in paper girls is the present is not a gift <laughs> it's like, okay right got it got it but i i like i like the time travel stuff where it's people from the far future messing around uh, i i like that as a story where it's not us doing the time travel but it's us having the time travel inflicted on us by people from the future who are like kind of fascinated by the primitive people of today i think that's fun and then to have it be the double act of it being you know the this this uh nostalgia trip that then pulls them forward to our time for at least this this one part i will i'll just i mean like i said it's very clear from the end of volume two that other times are going to be visited in this series i'll put it that way but um i like that it's the the you know we have to figure out what's going on with the old timers and the teenagers and all of that because they're you know they're from a hundred thousand years in the future or whatever we're we're just primitives to them i like that Oh, I wanted to mention one of the this, here's a weird thing to appreciate, but I like how people are horribly disintegrated in this. There are a couple <laughs> a couple times people are kind of horribly disintegrated and the way it's drawn is really cool cuz they're like like I don't even know they're like stretched and exploded so you get these kind of like um strange like uh i don't even know how to describe it like part parts of them end up being like turned into kind of of, like loops like arcs of of picture and i like how it's done because it seems i mean it's horrible and they end up you know you see like a part of a dead body on the ground or something like that but in terms of comic book art i it's not a it's something interesting. It's some weird not understandable thing that happens to a person instead of it being like when and and actually like when they get disintegrated when the 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 boy and the girl on the football field get disintegrated or whatever happens to them. It's weird looking. And um, that that's a nice touch that, um, you know, that, that not only do you take the time, like there's a thing where it's like there's lightning outside the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and there's a guy in a raincoat and he sees somebody in the parking lot who's wearing a weird space suit and he says, what are you doing? And then he gets kind of like exploded and it turns out to be Aaron's clone. Like uh, the, that all that time is taken with that guy who is then just weirdly kind of distortedly exploded like that's good stuff that that it's visually interesting and it's it's um i think that's i i you know i i appreciate that that they went the extra mile for the very strange depictions of that guy getting you know torn into pieces or you something dimensional i don't know it's Mm -hmm. weird dimensionally
4: ripped apart
1: i guess so i guess so but in an interesting way if you're gonna go go with visual flair i say (laughs)
4: sure i'll remember that
1: Just, yeah, no, don't remember it. Don't even write it down. (laughs) I don't want my future self to remind me of it later. Mm -hmm. That would be terrible.
0: My last sort of overarching thought about this is... um, kind of goes just back to the title of calling it paper girls that uh-huh. I, I find very interesting because we, we talked a lot at the beginning about how it starts out as this sort of 80s nostalgia thing these girls on a paper route and but it very quickly um just ch- changes beyond that but i think that it's very interesting that like it's it, it, they're i think they're, they're called paper girls because that's what kind of brought them together incidentally in the first place but i also think the series has been playing with a motifs on that and sort of like having them um come back to the idea of news, of the idea of like continuing to work at the paper. There's one scene where the older and younger Aaron's are talking to each other about like, this is the biggest news story in the history of news or something like that, which is, I just think, an interesting framing when there's so much going on that they, they, they comment on it in terms of a news story. And so I'm very intrigued to see like if that kind of motif gets expanded upon in the future as they continue to sort of like follow under this name of paper girls.
1: Newspapers alone, there's a lot of uh, stuff baked into that in terms of you know uh, not only the journalism stuff, but the nostalgia and the fact that newspapers aren't what they used to be and are fading away. And there's a lot bundled up in there.
2: The thing that the thing that I thought of when I saw Paper Girls was I thought of paper dolls that like I used to play with when I was a child because yeah. I'm old. <laughs> That's what we had. Um, but the idea, and I don't know if this is on purpose, or if they're really just leaning into the the newspaper thing. But you have these characters as we see them as as young kids, and then we get to see uh, at least one of them as an older person. Um, and the idea of sort of like. Uh, putting your future on like another layer of quote unquote clothing, which is actually just paper that, you know, gets sort of folded around. I could never get paper doll clothing to stay on my paper dolls. So um, I don't know. Those tabs don't don't work for nothing. They really they really did <laughs> no But but yeah, just the idea that, you know, your future is is perhaps a discardable um, piece of, of paper clothing that you are just putting on. And if time gets rewritten, uh, it's that's just a, a a different dress that is exactly the same, you know, shape and size.
4: Well, and with cloning, maybe even Mm. you are
1: discourable. Yeah. People should read Paper Girls. It sounds like everybody here is going to go on and read more if they haven't already or reread more. The only
2: reason I have not read more so far is just because I didn't want to get mixed up about what I could and could not say on the podcast because I knew I (laughs) would screw it up. Otherwise, I would have like immediately procured the next book. It's
0: on my nightstand right now. So jealous.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's good. It goes, I mean, it will come to no surprise to anyone who's read the first two trades that it it goes places you don't expect as it goes. (laughs) Like, it's it's it it continues doing the uh, the unexpected and taking you to different places and having you learn different rules and different weird time travel things that just keep on happening and putting the characters through all sorts of stuff, too. But that's what makes it good. And again, to say it, it does have an ending, I agree with John that, it, it, Brian K. Vaughn seems to have very carefully plotted out what's going to happen and what the rules are and what he wants the story to be and That's closing reassuring. this summer with issue 30. So six trades. It's good. It's good because, you know, having something that is ending and that you have a complete story to be told and you have a confidence in that, I think you do with Paper Girls. So, well, it's fun to talk about comic books with people and uh, I'm glad uh, that I prompted some of you to read this. That's also really nice i have to say i was not super i I didn't read it for a while because i was like yeah you know it doesn't you know again 80s nostalgia trip yeah brian cave on but mm, i don't know and then i read the first issue finally and you get to that moment at the end with the little weird apple thing and i just went what (laughs) (laughs) i was like all right you got me you got me so it's uh it didn't take long so strange uh all right. I would like to thank my guests for talking about comics with me for an hour. Aline Sims, thank you.
4: Thank you for having me on.
1: Erica Ensign, thank you.
4: I was going to
2: try to come up with like some clever way to pronounce that weird, unpronounceable language,
1: but I'm not. I'm not up to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. Uh, John McCoy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm. I'm going to go uh, play Arkanoid after this. Oh, That's yeah. good. That's good. Uh, it's the '80s. And Quinn Rose, thank you.
0: Thank you. I had a great time and looking forward to getting off this call so I can go read Volume 3. Volume
1: 3, it's right there. And thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We will see you next week.